Hello coders, welcome to episode 184 of the How to Code Well podcast. Today we're going to be talking about code reviews and how to get better code reviews. Before we talk about that though, let's get to the changelog. Now, I've been on vacation and there hasn't really been a lot in terms of how to code well over the past week, obviously, because I've been floating about in a sunny location. However, I have done a review of a pull request that uh, is on the code quiz. So I did that when I got back. So that is still going on and I'm still building the proof of concept around the markdown data source for the code question. So I, I am still playing around with that in the background. Whilst I was on vacation, I was using the private internet access VPN and the travel router that I mentioned in the pre one of the previous podcasts. I still want to give them a bit more of a go before I give you my full reviews on those things. There's a bit to say, especially around the the travel router. So that will happen eventually. I'm actually going to use the travel router again in the coming days because I'm giving a talk to PHP London, the user group. My talk is Code with Confidence Using PHP Code Sniffer. I've given that talk before, so I'm really looking forward to that. I want to get into some feedback before I, we get into the, the code review stuff. So Cameron wrote in and said, I recently purchased the router, which is the travel router that I mentioned, as well as the VPN service that uh, you did. Would love to see what other things you use that could save me a lot of time in purchasing decisions going forward. So yeah, I, I'm going to be creating a page or a pages on the howtocodewell.net site. And these are going to be things that I use and my sort of an, my thoughts there are, as I mentioned, I've used all sorts of keyboards, all sorts of mice over my many years as being a developer. And I want to give you my my thoughts and opinions of those things and also things to do with the setup here. So I've gone through several lights. I've gone through several stands. This is a bit annoying because the focus comes here rather than here. <laughs> so I have to change that every time. So I'm actually looking for another mic stand, but this stands fantastic. But yeah, I'm going to be doing all sorts of uh, reviews on different devices, I think, in the coming few months. That's probably what I'll be doing on my downtime uh, around Christmas, just sort of almost writing little blog posts, if you will, of these particular things, what I like, what I dislike and all of that stuff. Okay, so CodeSwat asks, do I have any PHP OOP tutorials? Yes, I do. I have created a crash course to do with PHP object-oriented programming. I put a link in the show notes below. That is a full course. Monstrosity Labs writes in on podcast episode 181, where the title is Elon Musk is not giving web developers enough time to fix Twitter. Monstrosity Labs writes in and says, glad to see you are on the side of reason regards to banning people. So yeah, it's quite easy, I find, to run with emotion. If people are trying to have different opinions and they push those opinions against you, it's very easy to request them to be cancelled, the whole cancel culture. However, you have to take a step back and you have to look at the broader pictures. They may come from a different culture. They may have different opinions. And I don't think silencing opinions is a good idea. However, there is a, a line that you have to, you know, 
step back from. You can't cross a line that is hatred. However, I do think there are many people on Twitter who probably shouldn't be on Twitter. These probably aren't even people, probably bots. And there are people who have been banned from Twitter that I think should actually not be banned on Twitter. In fact, I think it's better to to see what your opponent, if you were talking about a political opponent, is doing rather than not seeing that, right? It's best to have some element of transparency there. So I think it's dangerous to ban people without having some proper justification of, of why they were banned. However, I think that both sides needs, need an opportunity to have that discussion. And this, this is an interesting point because a lot of the staff that uh, Elon Musk has got rid of, they created those communities, those committees, the culture of Twitter. And it might, we, we probably won't see it straight away, but it might be a, a disaster in the coming few few months, maybe even weeks, when people are starting to be more uh, attacked by all of this hatred. And some of this, or most of this, I would imagine, are bots. So I don't know. I don't know if this was a good idea that he's done or a bad idea. I, I'm still on the fence with what Elon is, is, is doing, to be honest. But in terms of looking at it from a reasonable point of view, I think one needs to look at many different sides of the argument before they can truly put the ban hammer down. And when you commit to putting the ban hammer down, you're actually def defining your own position as well. <laughs> Wineblood writes in on episode 180, stop relying on other people's code. So Wineblood mentions, I've come to strongly dislike learning new frameworks, mainly because they have poorly structured documentation. Often I'll be working with a framework that I know superficially enough to make changes to existing code, not enough to create a new app in the optimal way and picking apart business logic from what the framework does is rarely an easy task. Really have to agree with that. I just need to know what a certain function of the framework does and the docs will go into theoretical explanation, assuming the reader knows all the other concepts used. This is a very good point. Documentation is never written for someone working on an, ex on an existing code base who needs to check how something works, which is most of us, and is written like something you're meant to read from start to, fish and to finish like a novel. This is why I go for video tutorials over written docs. That is very interesting, that point there. So when you're looking at it from a, a video tutorial, you might be able to to get to a certain point, skip all of the all of the bits and pieces and get to a specific point in that video tutorial rather than having to read all the bits and pieces. And also with video tutorials, you can create chapters so you can jump forward and you can jump back to specific parts. So that's a, a very good point there. Wineblood also goes on to say that the other issue I have with frameworks is how conceptually big their public functions are. They generally do one thing at a high level, which is half a dozen lower level operations. This is syntaxual sugar. I, I, I'm feeling this going on. 
if he then goes on to say, if I ever need to, to do a subset of those or add some code in between some of those steps, there is no easy way to do it. And I often have to hack around. So this is where you kind of have to have to shoehorn code in, crowbar code in and try and change the way the framework is trying to do something for you to do the thing that you need to do, right? So your feature isn't quite compatible with how the framework uh, needs to behave. This I have seen in many, many, many places. We're talking now here about legacy, legacy code. Wineblood talks, continues on and says, I see frameworks uh, like using a train. <laughs> you gain speed, but lose the steering wheel. If you need to do something custom, like all project stakeholders want, yeah, then it becomes awkward. If the framework you are using doesn't support that, when I build something new, I use the highest level library for the lowest level functionality I need. In Python for web API stuff, I use requests to handle API, HTTP calls, sorry, in a high level way. I don't want anything lower level that requires efforts or higher level that removes finer control I may need. So I've probably butchered that a bit. I'm apologizing, uh, Wineblood, but I certainly understand where you're coming from. So again, this is this is where you're trying to shoehorn bits and pieces in, move away from the opinions of the framework. And this also highlights the need for micro frameworks rather than a massive framework that tries to do all the things for you. In fact, I've seen over the several years, um, last few years, I've seen more of a trend, especially around the symphony, around the, the componentization of symphony, that people are trying to use smaller amounts of symphony components than the all the whole symphony framework this is the same with javascript as well uh, so every framework every programming language falls foul to having big frameworks that try and do all the things that you need it gets to a point where you want to do something slightly different and have some slight custom customization but it actually takes you longer to shoehorn that in because you're you're trying to keep compatibility with the framework whilst you're trying to keep your stakeholders happy and that is a real difficult line line to walk okay so on episode 168 noah nobody has mentioned laravel symphony or phoenix which should i choose from these as my next framework this is episode 168 what is a design system so i can't give you my opinion as to what you should choose, Laravel, Symphony, or Phoenix. I don't even know what that is, Phoenix. I haven't, I haven't heard of that. What I would say though, is it really depends on the project. And going back to what Wineblood was mentioning, just be careful about the size of the framework. You know, you, it's, it's like trying to hit a, uh, you know, everything is a nail, right? If you've just got the hammer <laughs> or trying to crack a nut with a sledgehammer. See what components you actually need your that your project actually requires, right? And then use those, just use those rather than use the massive framework that is Symfony or Laravel. If you can get away with some Symfony components or Laravel bits and pieces rather than the whole thing, then, then try that out rather than use the whole thing. You might want to go with a proof of concept first, which means that you might want to use the big frameworks first, and then once you're comfortable with that, then look at what components you can remove. That is another way of doing it, of course. 
Before we get into the better code reviews, I also just want to make a, a massive shout out to PHP because PHP 7.4 reaches end of life on the 28th of November this year, this month. <laughs> so this is your early, well, not an early warning call. This is your late warning call that you should really be off of PHP 7.4 by now. This is end of life, no security at all updates for PHP 7.4 after the 28th of November, 2022. This year, this month, get off of PHP 7.4. PHP 8 reaches end of life, so end of security fixes on the 26th of November, 2023, next year, okay? PHP 8.1 reaches end of life on the 25th of November, 2024. So you have, you know, two years-ish on that. And then PHP 8.2 will be released on the 8th of December this year, if you want to get to the bleeding edge. So yeah, again, PHP 7.4 reaches end of life 28th of November, 2022. This year, this month. Okay, so let's talk about the code reviews. Now, I found a, a nice little uh, blog post that mentioned various different ways to improve code reviews. Some of these things I agree with, some of these things I disagree with. So I wanted to just sort of talk about these. So this is from levelup.gitconnected.com, how to make your code, uh, how to make good code reviews better. I'll, I'll leave a link. I'll leave a link to all of these uh, things that I've mentioned in the show notes. So there is what? One, two, three, four points here. So set goals and capture metrics. That's the first one. Criticize ideas and not people. That's the next one. Question until you understand and do not review code for longer than 60 minutes. So some of these I agree with, some of these I don't. Let's go for the first one. Set goals and capture metrics. So capturing metrics, in my opinion, is things like having a continual integration pipeline where we are capturing whether or not things are working, cap capturing things like how much code coverage has been reported, all of those bits and pieces, checking if your code is compatible with future versions of PHP or whatever programming language you're using, and also if there is any kind of dependencies that are out of date, those kind of sort of automated metrics. However, the post does go on to th things like capturing things like how much of a percentage the the PR actually affects customers or reduces call times and stuff like that. I'm not really too sure whether that's something that one needs to worry about too much from a coder's perspective, maybe from a higher level perhaps, but um, I, I those are things that I'm not really interested in. They are more defined on the ticket before the code has been done. The reason why we're doing this is because we want to reduce the call time to the call center by 15%. That's kind of the reason why we're doing it, not the code review. So I, I disagree with that point. So set goals and capture metrics shouldn't really necessarily be on the code review. It's the reason why we're doing the pull request in the first place. The next point around how to make good code reviews better is around criticizing the ideas instead of cri criticizing the author of the pull request. So this is saying when you're trying to 
when you're trying to suggest changes to the PR, to the pull request, to not criticize the person for doing it in a way that you deem as maybe inefficient or ridiculous or even stupid, right? You have to be quite empathetic here. You have to you have to be in the, the other person's shoes. Perhaps they're not as experienced as you. Perhaps they're looking upon the solution in a very different angle as you. Maybe they have thought of things that you haven't even thought of. So that that's a, a, a point that I really want to underline. Maybe they have come at it from a different angle and maybe they have already thought of those things that you haven't thought of. So don't always go in trying to attack the person and you probably aren't doing it on purpose. You're probably not thinking that you're attacking the person, but you have to also remember that this person who has created this code has requested your review and is entrusted you to give constructive criticism rather than harsh criticism. They're also incredibly proud of the work that they've done. They are working on the same code base that you're working on. Why would they want to put any bad code in? Use this as a learning opportunity. If there is something that you are reviewing that you are not happy with, right? Ask the question why they've done it. Why did you do it like this? Explain your thought process of why you've done it like that. Don't just go guns blazing and say that they are stupid or silly or this is just a ridiculous thing, right? Because that will hurt that person's feelings. And, you know, that's not good. That's not good. You, you want to try and see this as a learning opportunity for both sides, for both sides, the next one is to question until you understand. So if there is something in a, pull in a pull request that I don't understand, right, then I try and get to the point of understanding to the point that the person has created the code. And if I can't, then I will try and ask questions or suggest alternatives. But I wouldn't do it like, I don't know, you should have done it like this. Why did you do it like that, you buffoon? I'll suggest alternatives and if they come and with a counter, maybe their counter suggestion is better than my suggestion. And that's where compromises get found, right? Again, a learning opportunity. So keep questioning stuff. If you don't understand it, then question and question and question. Pull requests aren't all to do with just text, right? It's not just a comments, comments section. You can actually call the person up and just say, regarding this pull request, I didn't really understand this line. Could you please explain it to me, right? It's not a sign of weakness that you do not understand the person's code that you are trying to review. It's actually a very good thing that you are trying to get that to be explained, right? Because it's all about knowledge sharing at that point. And this goes on to the, to the next point here, which is do not review code for longer than 60 minutes. I disagree with this. I disagree with this because I have reviewed code longer than an hour. And usually what happens is I usually small PRs where things just are flow really well. I can just read it. Then, yeah, the, those pull requests I can review and either approve or if there is a blindingly obvious change that I want to suggest, then I can suggest that change. And that usually happens within, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of, of reviewing the code. When the P 
PR is bigger or when it's more complicated, then what will happen is that I will probably read it, take a break, come back to it and read it again. If I don't understand it in the first path, then I will try and read it a second time. And if I still don't understand it, then maybe I need to do some research myself. I'm always of the opinion that the person who has requested my code review obviously knows more about that area of code than I do, right? Because they've worked on the code uh, or that area of code to do that thing, right? So maybe I need to do some research myself. That can take a bit of time. And if I still don't understand, then perhaps I'll jump on a call or just do a Slack message rather than have a to and fro conversation on the pull request comment system. I will get in touch with that person and just say, hey, look, on this particular line, on this particular file, in this particular function, you did this. I don't understand the I don't understand the syntax. Maybe I don't understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. Could you explain it to me? And then once they've explained it, if I still don't understand it, I'll ask them to explain it again. This has happened before. This can take longer than 60 minutes. And actually, it doesn't have to just be a one-way street or a two-way street between you and the, the code author. It could be the fact that you get other people on involved. Maybe you've spotted something that actually needs to be tested that hasn't been defined in the PR. Maybe you've you've spotted that this is actually going to inf interact with another part of the code base, another feature that wasn't actually defined initially on the pull request in the description. And you perhaps need to bring in a tester just to verify, just to make sure that they have a code, uh, an automated test against this particular thing. You wanna make sure that the risk is okay. Coders can get quite narrow focused when they're writing code. Sometimes they don't appreciate all the things that the code touches once they've got this PR ready to go. So sometimes a reviewer can look upon it and go, actually, this is going to touch far more than the bits and pieces that the, pull, pull, the initial pull request defines. This happens quite frequently when you're doing upgrades. Anyway, so yeah, I disagree that PRs can take longer, that they, they can, they can take longer than 60 minutes. So where are we saying don't review code for longer than 60 minutes? No, I disagree with that. And again, it's not just big pull requests, it's complicated pull requests as well. Sometimes you want to have a, a pool of people to sort of circle around the, this code and come out with some a better solution maybe, or suggest ideas. Maybe, maybe the understanding that you that you lack needs to be properly defined in the actual description of the pull request. I'll be leaving links to all of the things that I've mentioned today. So that's the levelup.gitconnected.com. That is how to make good code reviews better. A link to the supported versions of PHP. There'll also be links to all of the comments that have been made or all the podcast episodes of all the comments that have been made today as well as a link to the talk that I'm giving at PHP London this Thursday. That is Code with Confidence using PHP Code Sniffer. I believe there's still spots available if you want to come along and listen to me chat. I won't be doing a Twitch stream on Sunday and I won't be doing a YouTube stream this Tuesday evening either because I'm still getting over jet lag and I'm really super busy. So I'll be probably 
doing this the live stream live coding in the next few weeks i'll let everybody know on twitter and on discord if you haven't done so please do follow me at twitter at how to code well as well as our discord channel or server that is howtocodewell.net forward slash discord i am still doing the code quizzes so that has started up again i'll be doing that once every day weekdays on twitter and on instagram thank you ever so much for watching or listening happy coding everybody i'll see you again soon cheers bye bye